Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. Banking services debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NA, or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC, SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Tuesday, July 21st, Washington Post Live spoke with Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner about the resurgence of coronavirus in the region, how his constituents are coping, and his plans to guide the city through this crisis. Let's listen. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Post Live. I'm Bob Costa, a national political reporter at The Post. Today, we continue our series, Leadership during crisis as Americans continue to suffer due to the coronavirus pandemic. Our guest today is Mayor Sylvester Turner, the mayor of Houston, Texas. Mayor Turner is in his second term. He's a Democrat. He's also a leader on the front lines of a city that has seen hundreds of its residents die and more than 36,000 cases of COVID-19. Mayor Turner, thank you for joining us at this difficult time. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bob. It's good to be with you. Mayor Turner, in recent weeks, Houston hospital records show a surge of COVID-19 patients needing intensive care. Take us inside your city. What's causing that spike? Well, it's, uh, it's been a rampant increase in community spread. Uh, Bob, we did extremely well in April and May. Uh, numbers were quite good. Um, but uh, as I said in the first part of May, I thought we opened the state too quickly, too soon. Uh, the numbers started to increase a little bit in May, and then in June, the numbers have just taken off. Uh, so we've, we've seen exponential spread uh, within the city of Houston. We've seen more people testing positive, more people going to our hospitals, more people in our ICUs. And so... Uh, uh, there are several, there are three really layers of our ICU surge capacity. Uh, the first uh, level is already full, and now we're into uh, level two of our surge. And the good news is that in the last several days, we've seen a, uh, a slight decrease, um, but, and, but we just have to continue to work very hard to make sure we bring, we bring the numbers down. Beyond encouraging people to wear a face covering, how else are you dealing with this spike? Well, appreciate certainly appreciate the governor for putting in place a mandatory uh, mass order across the state. That's been helpful. Uh, he's allowed uh, now local governments uh, to place restrictions on any outside gathering of more than 10 people, and that has been helpful. And so the city of Houston, for example, we have suspended uh, any of city-produced sponsored permitted events. Uh, for the months of July, as well as for most of for most of August, our bars and clubs have been closed uh, for the last several weeks, and that's and that's been a plus. We've asked uh, the faith-based community uh, to voluntarily uh, remain resume their virtual worship services, and I will say that most of them, the overwhelming percentage of them, uh, are doing just that, and that have been helpful. Uh, so if we do all of these things in concert, uh, hopefully uh, uh, that will that will show some meaningful progress. I have asked the governor, for example, to dial back a little bit more uh, to like phase one. Uh, we we stopped the opening. That was good. 
reduced the occupancy for restaurants from 75 to 50 percent. That was that was good. Uh, but I think we may need to dial back a little bit more. And of course, this month, the month of July, will be very critical in determining uh, how we open up for schools uh, in the months of August, September, October. Where are you right now on school reopening? Texas allows schools to have the option of virtual learning for the first month or two of classes. What should schools in Houston do? Well, I've had an opportunity to talk with uh, uh, all of our superintendents uh, uh, where schools are uh, crisscrossing the city of Houston. And for most, if not all of them, uh, they will be virtual through the month of August, quite frankly, until uh, uh, shortly after Labor Day. And so that's good. The Texas Education Agency uh, put forth, um, uh, provided some instructions, for example, for those that go virtual for the first four weeks, they will continue to get their funding. Uh, they've also said, this is the Texas Education Agency to our school districts across the state, that in that second phase, in that second four weeks, if they petition to continue to go uh, virtual for the next four weeks after that, uh, they will continue to get their funding. Uh, we, of course, are encouraging our school districts, of course, to, to go virtual all of August, um, and then we'll assess, take a look at where things are in September and move from there. Now, the county judge uh, just yesterday put forth her recommendations and recommending that our school districts remain virtual uh, through the month of, until the month of October. Do you agree with that view? I think, you know, certainly I agree with remaining virtual through the month of August um, and then taking a look and see where we are uh, at the towards the end of August. Uh, and if the, if the numbers are, have not come dramatically down, if we still see that this virus is rumping rampant, uh, where we cannot get ahead of it in terms of our contact tracing, then yes, I too would recommend uh, that they uh, petition for another four weeks and remain virtual until sometime in October. Um, but, but I want the people in this city to focus very intentionally uh, on the months of July and August. And so it's very important that we, we get uh, maximum compliance uh, on the wearing of masks, and I define maximum compliance as something in the 90% range. If we can do that, the social distancing, following the proper uh, hygiene, wash your hands, sanitizer, things of that nature, avoiding large crowds, whether they are outdoor or indoor. If we do all of those things collectively, uh, and quite frankly, what I've said to the people in the city of Houston, whether the governor puts in place a stay home order or not, uh, it's, it's important for us to dial, to dial back. And so if you go into a place where there's a large crowd, uh, please avoid and stay away from those things. If we work collectively, as we did in this city in March and April, uh, then I think we're going to see a, a meaningful decrease uh, so, such that we can get ahead of the virus and we're not chasing the virus like we're doing right now. Mayor, I'm here in, in the Washington area. We're still celebrating the Nationals winning the World Series. Talking about large crowds, the Houston Astros, the Houston Texans, would you like to see them avoid crowds altogether in the coming months? Well, I think for right now, it's, it's certainly premature to talk about having, uh, having people in the stands in any, in any sort of uh, numbers. I think it's very difficult. I think it is important in what I've said uh, 
uh, is that if we want if we want to be in the stands, and I look forward to being in the stands watch, watching the Houston Astros play um, or the Houston Rockets. But if you want to be in the stands, if you want your kids to return, for example, to in-person learning uh, at the schools, uh, then what we do right now will be critically, critically important. And we have to get these numbers down. Uh, and it's not just about flattening the curve. And it's not just about uh, putting us in a situation where our healthcare delivery system is not being overwhelmed, but it's bringing the numbers down, the positivity rate down, such that we can effectively manage this virus until such time as there's a vaccine in place. So yes, I wanna see the, I wanna see the fans in the stands, uh, but in order to get there, in order for that to take place in a very, in a very safe, safe way, we are going to have to step back, put on these masks, do all of the things that we know we need to do, and we need to do it collectively, not individually, but we have to do it cooperatively. So speaking of that right now and all the actions that need to be taken, you would like to see Governor Abbott, a Republican, have a stay-at-home order once again? Well, I think at the very minimum, we need to dial things back. Uh, you know, just yesterday, I reported eight, 884 cases. Um, it's either 884, 700, sometimes 1,000 or more. We still have too many people uh, going into our hospitals. We still have a positivity rate. Um, I think uh, maybe close, you know, let's say it varies between, let's say 18% to 20%. So the positivity rate is still too large. With respect to the surge in our hospitals, uh, at the phase one is full. We're into phase two of the surge. Um, and so we, the numbers are still too high, okay? The numbers are still too high. And wearing of masks, the requirement, that's good. I appreciate that. And over an extended period of time, I think we're going to see we're going to see the benefits from doing that. But the question now is, is how can we wretched this, take the fuel away from this virus? As I heard someone say, how do we starve this virus? And you starve this virus, you take the energy out of this virus by stepping away, separating, uh, doing those things. So I think it would be prudent to dial things back. I appreciate the, 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 uh, the fact that, let's say, restaurants are no longer 75%, but down to 50 I probably would want to dial that back a little bit more. Um, so it is important that we kind of slow things down and separate out. Uh, but uh, just, just staying at this pace uh, is, is not getting us where we need to, to be in a quicker period of time. But you only have so much power, Mayor, yet you're the mayor of one of the nation's biggest cities, one of the, the gems of Texas. Is Governor Abbott listening enough to you and other leaders in the state? Well, I certainly, you know, look, I, I certainly want to be appreciative of the fact that in this state, we do have a statewide mass requirement. You know, that's, that's a positive step in the right direction. I do want to acknowledge the fact that locally, we can still place restrictions on any outdoor gathering of more than 10. And we, are, and we are doing just that. I appreciate the fact that our clubs and bars have been shut down uh, because those, those establishments were major spreaders and they've been shut down now for a few weeks. Uh, so I appreciate all of that. Uh, I, just, I just know what we did in March and April that worked very well. 
And when you look at the numbers, <clears throat> for example, in the city of Houston, in terms of people being infected with the virus, the numbers were low. In terms of people dying from the virus, the numbers were low. In terms of the number of people being admitted to our hospitals or in our ICUs, those numbers were extremely low. So I, I know what we did uh, when we stepped back, when we had to stay home, work safe orders in place, having people wear their masks. Now we're in a situation, for example, in June, July, where we're reporting, you know, six, seven, eight hundred, fifteen hundred cases now a day. That did not exist in March mm -hmm. or April. When New York shut down, we shut down. Okay. The difference is starting in the first week of March, we started opening way too quickly, too fast, not based on the science and the data. That's where we that's where we went astray and we're paying the price for it. And so even though we're starting to see uh, some easing up, the numbers are starting to look a little, a little better. And I say that um, understanding that things can change on a day-by-day -day basis. I do believe we just need to do everything we can to take the energy, the fuel away from this virus in order to slow down this community spread. Mayor Turner, you probably heard the president on Monday. He said he might keep sending federal law enforcement agents to American cities. One, do you believe he will send them to your city? And if he does, how would you respond? Well, number, number one, I don't think he's going to send them to our city because there's no need to send them to the city of Houston. Uh, even in the midst of the, uh, the unrest, uh, the, the marches, the demonstrations and the protests, which I fully understand and in large part support it. Um, and, um, and I understand why, you know, uh, the death of George Floyd, but it wasn't just the death of George Floyd. It was, a, it was the, the realization that, it, that the people have not been listening over decades. And so the frustration, the anger, all of that rose to a very high level and people were saying no more. I got that, I understand that. Uh, even in the midst of that, uh, the marches, the demonstrations, the protests in the city were relative, in the city of Houston were relatively peaceful. When 60,000 people marched uh, downtown on June the 2nd, and I joined them in that march, that march, those protests were relatively peaceful. We never put in place, for example, in the city of Houston, a curfew. There was never a curfew put in place. And we allowed people uh, to exercise their constitutional rights. There was no need to send in federal troops then. Um, there is there's no need to put in federal troops now. And quite frankly, I think that creates, that only adds to the um, mistrust, distrust, uh, the disconnect uh, when you do that. Um, and so um, even if we were faced with a similar situation like in Portland or Chicago, any other place, uh, I would simply say, no, that's not, that's not the way to, uh, to deal uh, with those situations. Your city's police chief, Art Acevedo, has had a high profile in recent weeks in the wake of George Floyd's killing. He has warned President Trump to, quote, keep his mouth shut in terms of the president calling to dominate protesters. Uh, chief Acevedo has also uh, drawn criticism for his handling of the death of Nicolas Chavez, who was mm -hmm. killed by Houston police officers. Does the police chief have your full confidence? And the answer is yes, 100, 100%. Chief Acevedo has been an asset uh, to this city. Uh, he's a person with a great deal of passion. 
Um, he's a police chief of police chiefs. Uh, he's out in front. He has no problem uh, being out there and mingling with, with, uh, with people from all walks of life, of all persuasions, of all beliefs. And quite frankly, he does believe very strongly in community and relational policing. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate him for what he has done. Uh, look, when um, um, after George Floyd situation all across America, those were very sensitive times. And it could, you could have easily gone from good to bad in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a short period of time. Uh, but I saw what happened in this city, and in large part, uh, uh, the protests in our city uh, were utterly peaceful, and I attribute a lot to him and to the uh, 5,300 5, police officers that we have in our city. Uh, but also, I attribute a great deal to the marchers, the protesters themselves. And I give a lot of credit, for example, to George Floyd family, uh, who, you know, many of them live right here in this city, still live in this city, and they ask uh, for those protests to be peaceful. So I give a great deal of credit to them and to the people that march. Um, but um, um, I, I fully support uh, Chief Acevedo, very appreciative of his service. Look, it's not to say that our system is perfect. Even in the city of Houston, we need to look internally at our, at our practices, policies, and procedures and improve them where they need to be improved. Immediately, for example, after George Floyd's funeral, I signed the executive order implementing most, if not all, of eight can't wait. The, the requirement for police officers to intervene when they see another police officer or officers violating policies or laws. The right, the requirement to de-escalate, to, to provide a verbal warning uh, where practical before the use of deadly force, uh, banning chokeholds, requiring detailed reporting when deadly force is used. All of those things were incorporated in an executive order that no police chief can change. It becomes the city policy. And so that has been done. But that's not, that's not enough in and of itself. And so I put forth a 45-member task force that's meeting now in order to, again, to look at all of our policies. When do you make uh, police footage? body camera footage available to the general to the general public. How do we um, put forth a better system dealing with crisis diversion? Because quite frankly, we ask police officers to do way too much, dealing with the homeless, dealing with people with substance abuse, mental behavioral health issues. We ask them to do too much. And so what are the best practices? What should be the best, the best model? And so we're looking at those things right now. And I want to give uh, Chief Acevedo a lot of credit uh, for embracing those things. We've eliminated no-knock warrants, except when authorized by the police chief or his, or his surrogate. All of those things are in the executive order that I have signed and put forth, supported by almost uh, all of our city council members, almost all of them. Uh, but at the same time, we're not saying that's enough. And now lastly on this piece, what I would say is, when people talk about defund police, what I hear them saying is that, Mayor, we need to make sure that we are investing in communities and neighborhoods that have been underserved and under-resourced for decades. That if you invest in these communities and invest on people coming out of these communities, then you don't have to spend nearly as much as putting resources into police departments 
to police and incarcerate people who come from these communities. I got that. I understand that. I was born and reared and still live in the hood, in the same neighborhood in which I was born and reared. I have never left, even as the mayor of the city of Houston. And so, uh, but the investments have not been made in these communities that have been underserved for decades and people are tired and they are frustrated and they are angry. And what they do see, they see the system investing in law enforcement institutions that are being used to police them rather than uh, the system, the establishment, uh, recognizing that if you invest in these neighborhoods, quality housing, quality parks and green space, economic business job opportunities, good sound right. infrastructure. If you don't do those things, you're going to miss the mark. Let's, let's pause there for a second, Mayor. In terms of the economy, Congress right now is negotiating another round of stimulus. When you look at yes. that potential package, whether it's unemployment insurance or another check for Americans who are struggling or money for schools or direct aid for states, what's your view on the priority Congress should have right now? Well, let me just say this. There are a number of people in our city and across America who are still needing rental assistance. They've lost their jobs. They were laid off. They are missing that income, but they still have rent that they need to pay or mortgages that they need to pay. And so I would certainly ask uh, Congress uh, in their next stimulus package to include assistance rental and mortgage assistance. I know the House has packed that, has um, uh, provided an appropriation for that. I hope the Senate will as well. With respect to our local governments, state and local governments, um, yes, we've received some funding from the first CARES Act in order to deal with testing and contact tracing. We still need substantially more, but there was no funding including in those bills for revenue uh, replacement. Um, just like in the city of Houston, because so many businesses had to shut down, uh, over $100 million in sales tax we have not been able to receive. Um, and so there are many cities across America who are needing assistance, just like we've, they've provided dollars to companies and corporations. Um, cities, states, and local governments are needing that assistance as well, and I hope that they would do that. Um, additional dollars for the hospitality and tourism sectors, sectors, those things are critically important. And then I would say, bear in mind, with regards to our hospitals, when they're taking care of COVID patients, uh, they are losing dollars. They, we've asked them to hold on elective surgeries. In large part, and the models that they are operating under, that's where their money is made. And now that they, we have said no to elective surgeries for the moment, Hospitals across America losing dollars, and, and they need to be sensitive to that area as well. Mayor Turner, every day in Houston, you're out front updating the people of Houston about the virus, about its spread. Later today, President Trump here in Washington will have a briefing. He's going to now lead more of these pandemic briefings. Do you encourage or discourage having him once again out front? Look, you can be out front, but if you're not providing accurate and, tr and, and truthful information, you can be, it can hurt rather than help. Look, since I've been mayor, I've had to face um, 
the tax day flood, Harvey, more rain fell on this city than any other city in the history of this country. Uh, now the coronavirus um, and you name it. When you're, when you're leading an, in, a, in a crisis situation, uh, what is important, information is critically important. Correct information is vital because people are listening and, and, and they will respond based on what they're hearing. And they look to their leaders at all levels of government to provide them with truthful, correct information. That trust factor is critical. If you lose that, then it's very difficult to govern in the midst of a crisis. So briefings are, are good. Um, I, I try to do it almost every day, uh, but making sure that we are providing correct factual information is even more critical than the briefing. And if you don't do that, it's better not to have the briefing at all because wrong information will create, can create very bad results. Um, the transparency is important. Uh, having people who are knowledgeable about the subject matter is important. And, and so all of those things in combination are critically important. So yes, we need briefings, but we need the information to be truthful and accurate. Mayor Turner, when you look at the polls, Texas is clearly in play this year, or at least a little bit more competitive. Earlier in the 2020 race, you endorsed Mayor Mike Bloomberg, then Vice President Biden. When you look at Texas in play, when you look at the whole electoral map, who do you think Vice President Biden should pick as his running mate? <laughs> oh, man. Uh I needed to talk yeah. a little politics with you, Mayor. Got to have a little fun. Look, um, let me not wade into, into that water. Um, look, leadership is in short supply right now, you know, across our country. Um, what this country need, we need, we need, uh, we need sound leadership. Uh, we need authentic, genuine, sincere compassionate leadership. Um, we need competent and capable leadership. And we need people who can provide uh, direction to all, we need a uni we need uni unifying leadership. There's way too much toxicity. You know what concerns me more right now? It's not so much the virus. I think the toxicity is more dangerous than the coronavirus. That's what's making it so very difficult. Um, the divisiveness within our country is more dangerous than the virus. The disinformation is more dangerous than the virus. So um, what we are needing, um, whether it's in the president, the vice president, or whoever it may, in Congress, in the Senate, in the House, gov in, in, uh, um, governors across our states, local elected officials, mayors included, county judges, what people are looking for are people who will be understanding of their situation, provide the proper leadership, uh, being responsive, being transparent. Um, you know, those are the things that uh, will, will, will help move our country, our country forward. So it's not, it's not the virus that's, that scares me. 
that's we we can we can deal with it. I've, we've seen what they've done in South Korea and in Taiwan and other places. We can deal with the virus, but what's 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 destroying us right now is not holding people accountable, allowing leaders to say whatever, do whatever, seeing what the consequences are, and us all not stepping up and demanding better. And so it's the toxicity and this and the, the divisiveness that's hurting us more than COVID-19. Mayor Turner, just here in the final minute or two, as you know, uh, Representative John Lewis of Georgia, a civil rights icon, died last Friday. A any reflections about his life or your own experience with him? Well, you know, um, two years ago, uh, I invited him to come with the help of Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee to, 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 um, to come and be the Grand Marshal uh, for the Dr. Martin Luther King parade that we had uh, downtown city of Houston. He graciously came. Um, and vintage, vintage John Lewis. I mean, um, look, he, John Lewis is, was, was authentic. I mean, he, he was out there in the streets, you know. Um, he was out there getting beaten up and arrested and jailed, but he stayed true. He stayed true to his, his calling. And then uh, uh, to be elected to, to Congress from Atlanta and serve for three decades, and he remained true. He was a very principled person. He had every reason to be angry and mad, um, but that was that. But he that was not the role that he that he took. He stayed true to uh, to the mission and to it with his walk with Dr. Martin Luther King. He was somebody who was principled, but he also um, uh, exemplified what love was all about. Uh, but he also reminded us all that there are times when you just have to make people uncomfortable and you just have to um, do exercise good trouble. And I'll remember that for the, for the rest of my life. And so it's important for us uh, to make sure that his living and his legacy continues uh, through, through our own actions. This would be an excellent time for people who are praising John Lewis on both sides of the aisle to put forth a civil rights uh, um, bill through Congress and name it after him. Not just the Edmonds, the, the bridge uh, in Selma, but in Congress, voting rights, those are important. So it would be good for that to take place right now. So those are the things, if you, if you believe in what he stood for, if you respect him and if respected him and admired him, on both sides of the aisle, this would be the time to honor him by passing a Voting Rights Act right now and naming it after John Lewis. Mayor Turner, that's all the time we have, but I really appreciate your time during this busy period, this tough time in Houston. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks, uh, Bob, for having me. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month.
Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details.